The following message is brought to you by Morgan Hill Bible Church. For all things MHBC, connect with us on social media and check us out online at mhbible.org. I thought before we jump into today's text, just give us a little on-ramp into where we've been. We haven't been in Acts for a couple weeks, but we're jumping back into the book of Acts. We've been working through uh, this, this great book written by Luke, the same author who wrote the Gospel of Luke, and it really chronicles the, the acts of Jesus in the Spirit through this early church, the first generation. And um, we're, get, we're actually going to be jumping in. If you have the, the PDF that we handed out or in your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 15. Uh, so chapter 15 is this crucial climax of the whole story. Luke has been building to this moment in, in many different ways. Uh, and so uh, actually there's this clash, this tension that's been brewing uh, around the question of uh, Jews and Gentiles. Jesus was the Jewish Messiah sent as the fulfillment of the whole Hebrew scriptures. And so it makes sense that it started off as a Jewish movement centered around the temple and the synagogue. And then all throughout the book of Acts, though, Luke's been hinting at and showing us stories of, of God actually breaking down some barriers and reaching out into a more multi-ethnic community of faith. That started all the way back in chapter two with Pentecost and the spirit came out and had the disciples speaking in the languages of all the people in Jerusalem, all over the known world. Uh, and we, we keep seeing these stories happening where um, people are rubbing up against what, what, what does it really mean to be a part of the family of faith? Uh, does it mean that I have to become Jewish or can I remain uh, outside in some other ethnicity, culture, background? What, what does it actually mean for me to become a follower of Jesus? Uh, another big moment was chapter 10 with Peter. We were kind of following Peter's life for a while and, and Peter in chapter 10 gets this great vision and he sent to Cornelius uh, this Roman centurion and he preaches the word there and the Holy Spirit falls on these Gentiles the same way that the Holy Spirit fell on the believers at Pentecost. And so it started to raise this question, what, what is God up to? He seems to have uh, granted these Gentiles the same spirit that he gave to the Jewish people and, and what's going on there. Uh, part of the book of Acts, it also, we see this overlap between Peter and Paul. These are really the two biggest characters besides Jesus himself in the book are Peter and Paul. First half is a lot about Peter. And then they overlap their stories back and forth for a, a couple chapters. And then the second half, actually starting in chapter 15 for the rest of the book, it's all Paul. We don't hear about Peter anymore after today. Uh, and so we start to see Paul. Paul was a, a persecutor of the church in chapter eight. And then in chapter nine, meets Jesus on the road and becomes one of its most uh, ardent followers and proclaimers of truth. It was this radical transformation. And uh, so we're, we're actually, if, if you're tracking with us, the last time we were in Acts, we were in chapter 12. I'm jumping forward to chapter 15. I didn't forget, uh, but I'm, I do want to give us a quick little over, overcast of what happened. So chapter 13 and 14 are all about Paul and Barnabas, his partner. Paul uh, was leading a church in Antioch, the first truly multi-ethnic church in the first century. And then the church in Antioch called them, God anointed them to go and start planting churches all over. And so Paul and Barnabas are going around and planting churches. They're, they're reaching Jews and Gentiles. And so we see chapter 13 and 14 starts kind of, we start to see Paul coming into his ministry. 
uh, and realizing that God has set him apart as an instrument to proclaim God's truth to both Jew and Gentile alike. And so they're seeing a lot of movement. They're seeing a lot of stuff happening. And it's all building to this moment in Jerusalem in chapter 15, where now they really have to come to, come to a decision. What's really going on here? Were these some outliers, but really this should be a Jewish movement? Or what are we going to do? Um, so I'm going to pray for us. And I want to read this whole text. It's 30 verses. So it's a little bit, it's, it's a lot to take in. Maybe just get into the right headspace though. Reading a lot of scripture is great. I love doing this. And uh, imagine you were one of these leaders in the church. And for you, growing up, your ancestors, all of your family line that you, as far back as you can think of, knew that God had given you this great gift of his law, uh, of, of the Hebrew scriptures, and you were trying to follow God as best as you can. God sent his son, Jesus, as a fulfillment of everything that you had hoped for. But now it seems like what God is doing is actually clashing and almost negating everything that you had once known about him. Like it, it was really radical. It, the, the sorts of ideas that Gentiles could come into the faith outside of becoming Jewish, it would be like if I were to stand here today and say, all right, to be a Christian, we should actually not pray or read our Bible anymore. Like if I were to tell you that, you'd kick me out of here. It's clearly, I'm, I've, I've gone off the rails a little bit. But if, if, if that's the sort of sentiment that I was giving you today, you'd say, that can't be, that, that, that doesn't sound like the Christianity that I've known about, right? That's the kind of feeling that you would get if someone in the first century came into the church and said, you know what? You don't, you don't have to be circumcised anymore to follow Jesus. Like that, just kind of in that kind of emotional space is where we're at. So it kind of makes sense why we have this kind of tension brewing uh, in the church today. So let me pray for us. And then I'm going to read, just kind of imagine yourself in this moment. There's a, there's a council happening and they're trying to deliberate and discern God's will and figure out, God, what are we supposed to do about all of this? Uh, so Jesus, we uh, welcome you in this space. We thank you uh, for gathering us here and just for the chance to dive deeper into your word. Would you pique our curiosity? Would you challenge us, Lord, uh, in our own place, in our, uh, in our own faith, in our communities today? Uh, and God, would you encourage us and, and allow us to worship you and give you glory um, as we dive deeper into your word? We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So Acts chapter 15, starting at verse 1. So some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas sent some of the other, and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them in order, and order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders were gathered together to consider this manner. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. 
And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their heart by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who make who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted uh, by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instruction, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. Okay. So that, I mean, you can imagine that this was actually a condensed version of the actual conference. I'm sure it lasted all day. That only took a couple minutes to read, but that was a lot to kind of take in, to kind of think through, okay, what were they talking about? Why was this such a big issue? Um, But again, the way even Luke is writing this story for us, he's really highlighting chapter 15. This was a, a very climactic moment. I mean, if you think about it, if they had decided differently in this council, almost all of us would probably not be here today. It would have remained, that Christianity would have remained a Jewish religion. Uh, but this was a, a turning point where God would say, no, I'm doing a new thing and we're going to bring the Gentiles, full members of my family, uh, to have a seat at the table. And so this is a really mo- uh, important decision that they're making today. Uh, there are two big ideas that came out for me as I was studying this text and just kind of pondering through it. One, there's actually a great, I, I feel like it's a great case study on discerning God's will. Been thinking a lot about that lately. And we see here one of, the, one of the few moments where we actually see them working it out 
in living time? How do we discern God's will? What, what should we do about this big burning question here? And so I want to just give, t- pull out a few interesting takeaways for us. Maybe you're in a season right now of trying to discern God's will for your life. We're in a season as a church discerning God's will for, the, for our leadership and the direction of our church. So that's a good, that's a, always a uh, relevant topic, I would say. Uh, and then second, that the actual decision that they're making has to do a lot with the actual characteristics of the church. Uh, what does it mean to be a part of the community of those that are trying to follow Jesus? Uh, and, and there's a couple clear ideas here that I see repeated all throughout the New Testament. So what does it actually mean? What are some characteristics that we could take away? If we call ourselves part of Jesus's community, what, what does that mean for us? Uh, so I'll start with kind of discerning God's will. And uh, they, they start with looking back and just recounting what has God been up to? Uh, it's been probably about 15 or 20 years since Acts chapter two. Uh, and so they've, they've had a couple decades to see God at work. We've seen, uh, and so Peter is standing up, Paul is standing up and they're telling the stories of what God has actually done in their history, in recent history. And so that, that's, I think, really important to just stop and say, well, God, what have you been up to? What have you actually been doing in my life, in my community, in, in the past year, in the past couple of years? And uh, that can actually begin to bring up some questions. Like, okay, got it. You, you did something over here that I wasn't expecting. Maybe that's going to make me stop and pause and ask some questions. We might say, you know, Eventually, someone might have said, hey, you know what? It says this in the Bible. Maybe we should start thinking about Gentiles being full members of the family. Someone might have eventually done that through a Bible study. But the, the reason why they were asking the question is because God had already been pouring out his spirit on the Gentiles, had already been doing miracles among the Gentiles. So God's actual current action started them on this process of, of debating and figuring out what are we going to do about letting the Gentiles in. So even just the, as a, a starter, what has God been up to? That's, that's sometimes a, a hard question to ask and it, it's often subjective. It's up to, you know, someone might say, this was God doing this and someone else is gonna say, no, I don't think that was God doing this. And so it's a little subjective, uh, but that, that's still a valid way to start. Say, okay, God, what have you been up to in my life? And, and is that making me re-question things, change my perspective about something? Uh, so I would start there. Uh, but that, that can't be where we end. That's a good place to start. But eventually you do need to bring in uh, God's very clear word. And that's what James does here. So Barnabas and Baal take turns just sharing the stories. Well, this is, these are the miracles that God has been doing in our midst. Look at all the Gentiles that have come to faith. Uh, and then James in chapter 13, uh, this is James, the, the brother of Jesus, who wrote the book of James. And this is just a little side note. You can ask me about later. But at this point in the story, James is probably actually the leader of the church in Jerusalem, even more so than Peter. James gets martyred and Peter kind of takes back center stage again. But it would seem James is actually, uh, has a lot of sway at this moment. So all the big guns are coming out, Barnabas and Paul and Peter and James and all the apostles. And they're all coming together because it's such an important decision. But James stands up and he brings uh, us back to scripture. So it's not enough to just say, well, this is what God has been doing in our midst. Eventually, we need to get back to God's word. That's the clearest way God has ever or will ever speak to us. God's 
clear word, uh, won't contradict what's got, what God is doing in the present. So eventually they need to come back to, well, does scripture actually corroborate this? It seems like God is opening a door for the Gentiles, but if, if it's not in God's word, then that's a non-starter. And so James brings us to the book of Amos, that's down in verse 16. Uh, and he quotes from one of the many prophecies he could have pulled from. He could have pulled from Isaiah 49 or uh, several other places where God actually says, hey, actually my plan has always been to open a door for the Gentiles. Uh, it, it's too small a thing, he writes in Isaiah, for me to just save the tribes of Israel. I'm gonna make you a light to all the nations so that everyone can praise the name of the Lord. And then in Amos, uh, what James reads out there, is that even Gentiles who are called by the name of the Lord will come into this family of faith. And so what, what James is realizing in that moment as he's kind of debating and deliberating, taking us back to God's word is God has already promised this. This was always in God's plan. And, and maybe the, the surprising thing is that it's happening right now in our day. Uh, we, we, you know, some of the Jews would have said, yeah, that's going to happen, but maybe in a couple generations. It's going to happen eventually, but not now. And these disciples in Jerusalem are realizing, you know what? I think that those old promises from hundreds of years ago are happening right here, right now. God really is opening a door for everyone to have an equal space at the table. That's huge. Uh, that, that is, the, to say again, to say that Gentiles don't have to get circumcised, which was one of the, the, the clear markers that you were one of God's children. That was the covenant marker for the faithful, for Israel. To come into the faith meant all the males, you have to get circumcised. And to say, you know what, God's doing a new thing would have been, again, like me saying, you know what, to be a Christian, you just stop reading your Bible. We're going to do it a different way. Um, or, you know, or something along those lines. I couldn't even think of a, a better analogy for today. What would, what would you be able to say that would be that shocking? Uh, that, but that's how shocking it would have felt. And yet they're saying, it, it looks like God's doing this. And then James is able to say, yeah, and it looks like God promised this also. So let's go for it. Let's not put that burden on these people. Uh, where God seems to be saying, you're full members of the family of God uh, because of your faith in the Lord Jesus. We are all saved by grace alone. There's a new way that both Jews and Gentiles relate with God and it's through faith in Jesus alone. And that's huge. Uh, and so they all decide, they come together with one accord it says, and they decide to write a letter to kind of help quell these, these problems that are popping up. Cause there's been groups of Christians going around telling all these Gentiles hey, it was great that you believed, but now you really need to get circumcised and start following all of the laws of Moses. And it was causing a lot of problems. And so they write a letter to help uh, stop all of that. And then one, one more thing about this whole discerning God's will. I love this line. I use this all, all the time in my own life. Is down in the letter, they write in verse 28. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden than these requirements. For it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And in that little phrase, I just, I find there's a great confidence and humility at the same time. They're, they are confident. They, they truly believe the Holy Spirit has led us to this decision and we are taking responsibility here. We, we believe that this is the right way forward. Um, but there's also, I feel like 
a good, healthy amount of humility in that phrase too. They're not saying this is absolutely true and there's no way that we could be wrong. They're saying, you know, it seems good to us and to the Holy Spirit to go this way. We're not going to make you get circumcised. We think that you, that God has already poured his spirit out on you. One of the, the things that really piqued my curiosity reading this text was I, I was looking for it and I was questioning, like, wait, why didn't Luke write down any of the actual prayers that they prayed? Right? Did you see, like, they, there's a lot of talking. There's reading scripture. There's writing this letter. They're deciding this really big, important decision. And Luke doesn't write down, and this was the prayer that they prayed, and this is how God answered that prayer. And, and I'm, hear me, I'm not saying that they didn't pray. I actually, that very, I, I would say with full confidence that they did, that there was probably a lot of prayer in that day. But Luke, who in the book of Acts, tells us a lot about the prayers that the disciples prayed. If you think back to some of the, the stories that we've read, he, he recounts actual prayers that the disciples prayed and how God you know, showed up once by shaking the room and a bunch of other ways that he's answering prayers. And it was interesting, why didn't Luke write the prayers down here? And I don't have an answer yet. That was just kind of my curiosity going wild. The one thing I was thinking of, I think this passage for me really highlights a divine human partnership in a healthy way. It's fully God. God has been moving all along and the Holy Spirit has been pouring out his spirit on the Gentiles, doing miracles, bringing people into faith. The scriptures are uh, corroborating all of what they're thinking, but the, these uh, apostles and the leaders of the church are also right there in the mix. Sometimes for me, when I think of discerning God's will, this has been just my own journey of faith for many years. I used to have this sense that every time I want to discern God's will for my life, I have to remove myself from the equation as much as possible. Like I have to find a way to get rid of all of my thoughts and, and, and ideas and my desires and just have this blank slate for God to just tell me, Tyler, take this step next. And I think God does that sometimes. Uh, and this is, not the, this is not the end of the discussion. This one chapter is not the only place you should go to for how to discern God's will. But this gives maybe another angle. There's also this great invitation throughout scripture that God wants this divine human partnership. He wants humans who can actually partner with him and take responsibility. And, and we're right there in the mix. And so our decisions, we, we need to prayerfully seek God, say, God, is there any hidden sin in my life? Are my desires actually contrary to your word? Does your word actually back up where it seems like you're leading me? Uh, but then at the end of the day, we are also making like rational, wise decisions. So they're, they're a part of it. They, they're saying it seems good to the Holy Spirit because look at what God's been doing. And it seems good to us. There's this divine human partnership in discerning God's will. And, and they're, able to, they're able to move this whole conversation forward. Uh, it's interesting. It, this, is that, this isn't actually the end of the conversation. Uh, this is just the beginning. There's going to be a lot of messy conversations to come. Uh, actually, you might just compare at some point this chapter with the book of Romans chapter 14, which Paul must have written at least, I don't know, five, 10 years later. Uh, now, Paul is on the road, on the ground, actually dealing with the question as it's coming of how do you actually integrate Jews and Gentiles? And what do you do with uh, meat sacrificed to idols? And how do we actually have fellowship uh, across all of these ethnic and cultural boundaries? And he has to kind of 
adapt and change and, and continue to morph this decision. So this, this one letter doesn't just settle the, the question, uh, but it's a really important start. Uh, so anyway, that, that's just kind of my own aside to get into discerning God's will. There's some cool takeaways here. Are we looking at what God has done in our life recently, in our community? Are we really digging in? What does scripture say? Is there a story that God has been fulfilling that he's leading us to ponder, to think about today? And then with great both confidence and humility to be able to come to a point to say, you know what? In partnership with God, we feel like God's been speaking through us and in us, and it seems like this is the way we're supposed to go. Uh, and so that there's some takeaways. Maybe that's helpful for you if you're planning a, a move or a job change or whatever that might be in your life. This is, a, this is a cool chapter for me to keep going back to, to, to just help frame, how do I actually pursue God's will in my own life? Uh, I do want to talk about, though, the actual decisions that they make. Uh, so they, they come to the decision, and it really centers on, I would say, two big characteristics for the family of God. Uh, and the words, I'm going to condense them down, the two words that come to mind are holiness and unity. Holiness and unity, and, and those two words are a good summary for almost all of Paul's letters. Uh, most of the New Testament, uh, in essence, is trying to answer the question, how do we be a people that are holy, set apart for God, and united? Holiness and unity. Uh, another way to put it might be with Jesus' uh, famous summary of the whole Old Testament. Do you remember that? He's asked, what, what's, the best, what's the most important law? Jesus. And he says, well, the first one is to love the Lord your God with all, the, all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second is to love your neighbor as yourself, to love God and to love others. And Jesus says that summarizes the entire Hebrew Bible. That's pretty good. Uh, and, and so holiness, we might say holiness is how do we love God? We're supposed to be a people set apart for God, following after God with, with our lives uh, full of purity with our mission? Uh, are we actually joining God in the world? Are we um, becoming more and more like Jesus every day? All of that kind of would be summarized by that word holy. And then unity is how are we actually loving others? Are we loving our neighbors? Are we actually able to have true fellowship uh, across uh, ethnicity, culture, backgrounds, all different ways of life? Are we actually a people that look like the great multi-ethnic vision of God's kingdom? Um, and, and so what does it look like to have to be united? Uh, and, and the reason I bring those two up, I see those here, but they're actually really, really hard to do together. Holiness and unity, they're actually much easier if you just cut one of those out of the equation. I mean, think about holiness, a life set apart for God. Uh, well, it's not, it's not a walk in the park, but it's a lot easier if you don't care about unity. Because all I have to do is I just stop interacting with people that I don't like. I just stop interacting with people that don't believe everything exactly like I believe it. Uh, and then my, my community might get smaller and smaller and smaller. But hey, we are the holy ones, right? You may have experienced groups like that. Uh, when it gets really bad, that, that's where it turns into a full, almost like a cultic atmosphere. Uh, and there are religions and, and ways of trying to follow God in the world that have become so insular that really they just keep cutting people out of their lives so that they are the holy ones and, you know, oh, they don't believe the right thing, so let's get rid of them. So holiness, you can, you, we can do that if we don't care about unity. 
But then on the other side, unity becomes really, really easy if you don't care about holiness, right? If I just, ref- I, you know, if I'm just going to go with the, the cliche word of the day is tolerance, and I just say, you know what, I, I'm not going to ever bring up heart issues, and you can believe what you want to believe, and you can act how you want to act, and there's no, we don't, we don't care at all about how your, your morality or your beliefs or anything like that, we're just going to be blanket tolerant. We can, ha- we can have great unity, full of love, but we don't ever talk about anything very deep. And so unity by itself is really easy, and holiness by itself is relatively easy, but to bring those two together is really hard to say we are, we are absolutely focused. We have to remain true to God, to God's word. We want to be set apart, a people holy for the Lord. And we actually want to love all of our brothers and sisters in our community. And we want to be a community where people can have differences and different backgrounds and come together and remain united. Uh, unity is not unity toward, you know, me as the speaker up here or toward a particular year. Unity is toward Jesus. Are we able to be united toward Jesus and wholly set apart for God? One uh, kind of an example that just made me laugh just this week was uh, I was talking about this sermon with Ricky, one of our other pastors here. And Ricky and me, we, I, I argue with him about the Bible more than almost anybody. Like, we love Jesus and we love the Bible, but there are times when we're like, I'm like, oh, I think this verse means this. And he goes, no, it does not mean that, Tyler. And so we, we, I think we spent a good two hours just chewing up different theologies and trying to get into the Bible. And we were, we were landing on different sides and we do this all the time. And honestly, I would have it no other way. I love that guy. And I love the questions that we have. And we kind of prod at each other. And honestly, every single time I walk away and it, it has shaped my own assumptions. And so when, when we dig in and, and get kind of heated and, and start to argue about different beliefs and different ways of interpreting parts of scripture or whatever it might be, it comes, we come away and I think we both grow from it uh, because we're also absolutely united. We know that we love each other, we love Jesus, and our first and foremost authority is God's word sitting in front of us. And so when we're chewing it up, it's not a way of of me saying, you know what, Uh, Ricky doesn't believe about, you know, he doesn't read Romans 5.1 the same way as I do. Um, I should just stop hanging out with him. Of course not, you know? And so that, that was just one example that was just happening this week of like, how do I pursue, I love God, I love God's word, but we should actually be a community here Let's talk about Morgan Hill Bible Church. We should be a community where people can come together with different theologies and different ideas about, you know, end times or predestination or some of the the nice buzzwords that we talk about in the church. And it's a good thing to figure out how do we maintain our differences and our uniqueness and come together and say, yeah, but we love Jesus. God's word is still important. We are united around Jesus. And so that's what they're trying to figure out here. They're saying, you know what? We're not going to make them uh, be circumcised. But we, we know that we're all saved by the, by the love of Jesus, by his grace alone. And so how do we do that? One uh, kind of the, a really interesting question that comes up, if you're reading this, question, this text carefully, comes up at the end. Okay, so you're like, okay, so they said that they don't have to follow the law. Great. But then they end the letter by telling them to follow a couple more laws. What's going on there? They say, hey, you don't have to be circumcised, but don't eat 
food, sacrifice to idols, or that was strangled, don't eat blood, and stay away from sexual immorality. And some have legitimately asked the question, well, did they like backtrack? Did they come to the conclusion that you're saved by grace alone, but then still lay on them a law? Like they they cut out one law, but they laid on them a couple more. What's going on there? And I think what we're seeing played out in real time is them trying to navigate that hard question of how do we remain holy and united at the same time? What is it? And so theologically, they've come to a really important decision. Gentiles do not have to become Jewish to be saved. That's, That's really important. It still impacts us today. But at the same time, they know that actual table fellowship Being able to see yourselves as as a brother and sister in Christ and coming together in fellowship is so important. How do we remain united while maintaining that love for God? And the way that they decided was here, well, if uh, it really kind of comes down to a lot of pagan practices. In the pagan world, there would have been, um, there's a lot of idolatry going on. You would eat meat in the temple, sacrifice to Zeus or Artemis. And so they're saying, well, if the Gentiles still live in that kind of world. There's also a lot of sexual immorality in the Gentile pagan world. If the Gentiles are not separating themselves from that part of their life, it's going to be really hard, if not impossible, for the Jewish believers in Christ to actually maintain fellowship with them. And so this is not a way of them saying, these are the things you have to do to get saved, but these are the things that would help us maintain unity. And, and it's messy and it's hard. And, and I kind of alluded to it, but Romans 14 and other places in Paul, Paul has to do a deep dive into that theology because this one sentence doesn't really clear up all the different issues that come up with that. Uh, but it's, a, it's an important start. They're basically navigating that question. How do we love God and love our neighbor? And sometimes they seem to clash. It's not enough for them uh, to just say, hey, you're fine. You don't have to become Jewish and we'll just work it out because all of these practices that are still a part of the pagan way of life would really hinder actual unity. And so they, they're, they're trying, they're kind of working it out. At, we're seeing it kind of worked out live, which I really love. Uh, and, uh, and that's, yeah, there's more you could go into that, that verse 29. What are, what are they actually having them abstain from? Uh, it links back to several places in the Old Testament where uh, like Leviticus 17, Genesis 9, where God actually lays some mandates on all of humanity, not just the Jewish people. Um, so sexual immorality is something that God cares about for all people, not just the Jews. Uh, and worshiping, worshiping idolatry is something that God cares about for all people, not just the Jewish people. And so there's a way where they're kind of universalizing it for all people and saying, we all belong at the table, but here are some things, some practical ways forward for us to maintain fellowship and unity. Uh, so that, that's a lot, a lot to chew on. Uh, as we kind of start to wrap up, I want to take us back to the words of Jesus. He summed up this whole thing uh, way better than I just did. Love God, love people. Uh, As we want to strive to be God's community of faith, to follow Jesus fervently in the world, we want to love God with all that we have, with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to truly do that, to apply God's word to our life, uh, is kind of what it means to be holy. We're set apart for God, for God's mission, to be his instruments in the world, to bring his light and love and grace into the world. Uh, And maybe just a a good question for us is, does my desire to love God ever get in the way of my need to love my neighbor? Because as Christians, we're also 
absolutely called to love the people around us, to care for the poor, for the oppressed, to actually have relationships outside of my own uh, group. That, you know, the book of Acts is all about this great multi-ethnic community of faith. Do I hang out with people that are not just like me? That's really, really important. Uh, because if I just start hanging out with people that are just like me, I'm, I'm running the risk of, you know, I'm, I'm being holy, I'm set apart, but I'm not actually being united with God's full family of faith. And so am I engaged in the world? Am I engaged in loving my neighbor as myself? Uh, one just practical application, because I keep seeing the great orange hat over there, is uh, Eric's our spokesperson for our Walk for Water coming up in May. And that's one way as a church that we are striving to say we love God, but it's not just about getting together and singing songs and then going home. It's about getting together so God fills us to then impact people around the world. And so we're, we're joining up with the Walk for Water is a great way for us as a church to say we're, we're also about helping the poor. And to give people access to clean water is, is a part of loving our neighbor as ourselves, as much as we are, you know, singing songs and reading scripture and praying is a vital part of that relationship with Jesus. Um, go and, you know, check out, sign up for Walk for Water as maybe one application for today. Uh, so anyway, that's a lot, but there, there's just some great handles today in summary about how we might be discerning God's will. To just ask yourself, what, God, what have you been up to in my life? What, um, what scriptures can you lead me to? Are there good counsel and conversations that I need to have as I'm trying to figure out, God, what are you doing? And to approach that question of discerning God's will with that mix of humility and confidence. Uh, and then uh, we kind of boil it down to holiness and unity or loving God and loving others. Are, is your desire to love others stopping you from loving God? Or, or to flip that, is your desire to love God stopping you from actually reaching across and, and loving your neighbor? And, and how do we actually wade into that same tension and say, I, I, need, to be about a bo- I need to be about both. I need to love God and love others and to, to continue to walk this way of life. Uh, so let me pray for us. Well, God, thank you for uh, this just packed story and the way that you uh, were moving this early church along, trying to figure out really important issues. Um, the, the whole characteristic and makeup of your church would have been radically different uh, if you hadn't been moving them and speaking to them and showing the way that you were opening the doors for, for multitudes to come in to this life of faith. And we thank you for that. Uh, God, would you uh, pour your spirit out on us today as a church, as we, both as a church and as individuals, continue to grapple with these hard questions of how do, we, how do we hold intention loving you and loving others? And would you show us the way forward to do that, God? Uh, to do that well, in, in, as we honor you, uh, as you call us out uh, to, to a life of purity and holiness, would you also help us to remain united around you? Um, Lord, there's that great verse in the book of Hebrews that says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. God, that's uh, just my final prayer for us today, that as we desire to remain holy and united, would we, would we all together fix our eyes on you as you lead us out into our world uh, and continue to lead this community. Uh, we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. Continue the conversation with us on social media. Never miss a message and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.